All right, Revelation chapter 10 and verse 1. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Could you imagine having this vision? It's like the most exciting action-adventure movie you've ever seen. Everything, the locusts had coming out, the angels are flying around, and now this giant angel, bigger than a mountain, puts one foot on the land and one foot on the sea, and he starts to talk, and the seven thunders utter their voices. It's pretty awesome what's going on here. Angels are awesome. You know, I don't know what you think of when you think of angels. You probably think of a, a guy or a gal with wings in a white robe flying around, maybe singing Christmas songs. And maybe they're that too, I don't know. But angels are awesome in the original meaning of the word. Do you know the word awful? Used to mean full of awe. They're awe-inspiring. So much so that just their near presence freaks people out. If an angel is nearby and people don't even see them, they feel their power and it freaks them out. Even mighty men of God, when they meet angels, oftentimes just faint dead away. This happened to Daniel. Let me, let me read to you. I'll put it up on screen. The prophet Daniel. He says, I was standing on the bank of the mighty Tigris River. And I looked up and I saw someone. His body shone like a jewel. His face was as bright as a flash of lightning. And his eyes blazed like a fire. His arms and legs shone like polished bronze. And his voice sounded like the roar of a great crowd. Those who were with me didn't see anything, but they were terrified and ran and hid. So think about it. These are holy guys with Daniel, no doubt. They're there praying. They're, they're close to God. But an angel shows up, and they just book. They're, they're, they're petrified. They jump behind bushes. They run into cracks. They hide in caves. Anywhere to get away from this dreadful thing, whatever it is. They don't even see it. Maybe you can understand because you've watched these horror movies. And that music starts, and it just gets you on edge, and it's the suspense music. And, and you know the camera goes around the corner, and it zooms in on somebody's face, and they start to turn around, and you know what's going to happen. Something horrible, frightening is going to pop up, and you're going to scream. You just know it. I guess it, they're at that point. And they don't wait to turn around. They just run. It's interesting, though, because what's petrifying them isn't a horror. It's not a monster. It's holiness. And it's kind of sad that we run and flee from holiness. I was talking to somebody just a few minutes ago in the lobby, just right before I got up here. and said, you know, I look forward to the man God made me to be. I don't like the man I am right now. I'm only half that guy. I want to be the guy that God intended me to be, the unbroken one. The undiminished one. The one that doesn't say stupid things and hurt people's feelings. The one that doesn't make thoughtless mistakes. I don't want to be that guy. But I'm not there yet. 
I'm the guy that probably run from holiness. So those who were there with me didn't see anything, but they were terrified and ran and hid. And I was left there alone. Poor Daniel. Daniel was probably old at this point. He couldn't run if he wanted to. I was left there alone watching this amazing vision. When I heard his voice, I fell to the ground unconscious. He's scared to death. He's petrified. But as soon as the angel speaks, he faints. It knocks him out. It's like going around with Meriwether. Just knocked him right out. When I heard his voice, I fell to the ground unconscious. Then a hand took hold of me, raised me to my hands and knees, and I was still trembling. So even with the angel's help, he's on his hands and knees. I can't get up. With the angel's help. I can't explain to you any more than the scripture is how awe-inspiring the presence of an angel is. In fact, in one of the books of the New Testament, in speaking of fallen angels, the scripture says... They didn't even dare use a... Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil over the body of Moses, didn't dare to use a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. We have less respect for angels than we should. They are mighty, they are magnificent, and they are awesome. Now the angel speaks. And the angel said to me, Daniel, God loves you. Oh, that gives me goosebumps. He comes all the way from heaven. He goes through all that. The first words out of his mouth, Daniel, God loves you. Nice. What better could he have said? And I wonder, if God said, okay, angel, whoever you are, I don't know which angel this was. Let's, you know, Gabriel, let's just say. Go down to Daniel, and I got a message for you. Did the message say, tell him I love him? Or did the angel just say that because Daniel was upset and he wanted to encourage him? Either way, they were the first words out of the angel's mouth, and they really just give shivers up and down my spine. The angel said to me, Daniel, God loves you. Stand up. Listen carefully to what I'm going to say to you. I've been sent to you. It's a little metaphorical. I'm going to rip it out of context, but I want to give it to you. Stand up. Stand up. Steve, quit putting yourself down for being half the man you need to be. Stand up. God loves you. Do God's work. Lift your chin up high. God loves you. God is in control. He's got a plan for your life. Stand up. Daniel, stand up and listen carefully to what I'm going to say. I have been sent to you. And when he had said this, I stood up, still trembling. And then he said, Daniel, don't be afraid. God has heard your prayers ever since the first day you decided to humble yourself. God heard your prayers ever since you decided to humble yourself. Let that be a lesson to us in our prayer life. There are some people that just claim things. It's almost as if they're ordering God around. That's not a humble way to pray. We don't claim things. We ask for things. We ask God to please watch over us and to remember us. And we ask God for things. We don't demand things. So we have the authority to come before his presence at any time we want and to talk to our Heavenly Father. He's granted that to us. But we should always do so with humility and respect, just as Daniel did. Daniel, don't be afraid. God has heard your prayers ever since the first day you decided to humble yourself. And what was Daniel doing? 
in order to gain understanding. He wanted to know what was going on with all these visions that God was giving him. So he humbled himself to God and he prayed. And the angel said, I've come to answer your prayer. All right. Now, I've talked about angels in the past. I'm not going to give the whole angelology lesson this morning. Yes, that is a real word, angelology, the study of angels. But I do want to talk a little bit about what angels do. First and foremost, this is an easy one, they're servants of God. They show up where God wants them to show up, and they do what God wants them to do. They are God's representatives, his ambassadors, and his servants. And it's pretty funny, as amazing and as awesome as they are, some of the things he has them do. If they were arrogant, they might say, it's beneath our dignity. But they don't do that. Let me ask you, is something beneath your dignity? Is there something that you cannot do because you're just too awesome for that? You know, more than once I've seen elders in this congregation plunge in toilets. I love our elders. They don't think anything's too beneath them. It needs to be done. They're standing there. They do it. And yet I've known others. I know others who are less humble. All right, so first of all, they're God's servant, servants. Secondly, they administer God's word. Now, you know this. Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. They went to Mount Sinai. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, right? But more was going on there than that story communicates. We look elsewhere in the scriptures, we get more data. For example, Galatians 3.19 says this. Angels gave the law to Moses, and he gave it to the people. Well, that's interesting. When we get out of Exodus and read that Passover story, we don't see angels. But other passage, passages talk about angels there. Now, God wrote the Ten Commandments on stone and gave it to Moses. But Moses went up there for like 40 days on his next trip, and he gave, God gave him the whole law. So maybe the angels were involved in that part of it. Or maybe they were up there during the whole Ten Commandments thing. I don't know how it all works together. I don't have the full report. We just have the outline, the overview, the main details. But we know not only are angels servants of God, but they are ambassadors of God administering his word to his people. Galatians says it, Acts says it. You have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. The law, the Torah, the commandments of God. So angels are his servants and they administer God's word and they also administer God's wrath. Which I guess is fitting. They're the ones who lay down the law for God and they're the ones that enforce the law for God in one level. They judge people. They're not the only judges of people. People are judges of people too. We have cops and, and we have uh, courts of law and we have military. But angels do God's work of judgment as well. Oftentimes on a much bigger scale. We're going through the book of Revelation. We're looking at the trumpets and every time a trumpet blows, God's wrath pours out on earth. Who blows the trumpets? The angels. Who was bound at the rivers Euphrates? The angels. Who stilled the wind? The angels. The angels administer God's wrath. We haven't gotten to the bold judgment yet, bold judgments yet, but they're going to be the ones pouring out the vials of God's wrath upon the planet. They're God's servants. They administer God's word. They administer God's wrath. And they minister to God's people. One of the things you probably know they do is they protect. 
Daniel was in the lion's den. You know he came out fine. But do you know that it was an angel that protected him in there? Daniel said, God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. They protect. Michael, the archangel, protects Israel. Scripture calls him Michael, your prince. And he's shown in the book of Daniel to be the the angel that guards over Israel. You've all heard of guardian angels. That concept had to come from somewhere. Angels protect. Angels rescue. They didn't keep Peter from getting arrested and thrown into jail, but they let him out. Miraculously. So they protect, they rescue, they strengthen. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating, as it were, great drops of blood, an angel came and strengthened him, the scripture said. So they... They protect, they deliver, they strengthen, they encourage. Paul was on a ship out to sea as a prisoner, and they hit a huge storm. And they threw all their cargo overboard, hoping the ship wouldn't sink. It was that bad a storm. And then they feared the ship was going to start breaking up, and they were all going to die. And an angel came. They hadn't eaten in days. They were petrified. They were seasick. An angel came and said, Paul... Don't worry, it's all going to work out. Here's what you got to do. And Paul told them what to do, and they were all relieved, and they ate. The ship broke, but they all got to shore unharmed, just like the angel said. They encourage. And they carry messages. It was only a couple weeks back I talked to you about Philip and the eunuch. Um, Philip was sent by an angel to talk to an Ethiopian eunuch. So they... Encourage, they protect, they strengthen, they rescue, and they carry messages for God. And that's what's going on here in chapter 10. This angel, this mighty angel was sent to John. This angel with his foot on the land and his foot on the sea, holding a little book, which is funny. Why, why, why is he holding a little book? Why isn't it a big book? He's a big, I don't know, because John's got to eat the book. Well, what's that mean? I couldn't tell you. You know, it's obviously God's word going into John so he could speak it out. That's, that's the best I can do with it. He was told, the angel tells John that he's going to prophesy again before many people. Now, John, as far as we know, at this time in his life, he's probably 90-something years old. And as far as we know, he finished up his life on that little island. So when did he prophesy before many people again? Don't know. It might be that he's referring to the book that he's in the process of writing, and this is his prophecy before many people again. It could be that. Or maybe it's just a promise that John was, got, had more ministry to do ahead of that book. Can't say for sure. Then something interesting happened. Verse 4. Now, when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and don't write them. Here's what's interesting. John is specifically given information about the end times to communicate to us. He hears something, he's about to write it down, and the message says, don't. You're not allowed to write this down. Seal it up. Keep it a mystery. I've told you many times, I don't think we can fully understand end times prophecy. I don't think we can fully understand the book of Revelation. We can understand parts of it, but it's intentionally 
hidden from us. And that's one of the verses I use to make that point. That's why when people get all argumentative about their philosophy about what's going to happen at the end, I just chuckle. Why, why are they so arrogant? Like they know. They argue like they know. Heck, even John, who wrote the book, didn't know. And the things that he did know, he wasn't allowed to write. Daniel had to fast and pray so he could know more. We don't know everything. We do know some, but we don't know any, everything. So John, the most prolific end times author of the entire universe, had things that he was told not to tell us. The second most prolific author of end times event is Daniel. And guess what? He was told things he was told not to tell us too. Daniel, chapter 12, look what it says. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So Daniel was told, Daniel, there's certain things you can't tell anybody. It's a mystery until the time of the end. Guess what? It's still a mystery. So the end's not here just yet. I'm thinking that those two mysteries, what the seven thunders uttered and what Daniel was supposed to write down, is, it's my opinion that it's special revelation for the end times group of people, for the people who are in the tribulation. It'll be beneficial and helpful to them, not for us. That's my guess, but I don't know. What do I know? It's hidden from me too. All right. So certain things God reveals to certain generations. We can't fully understand the end times. We do not have all the data. But there is one thing about this seventh trumpet I know, I think. Now that I've said that, how can I know that I know anything? Because maybe that extra data would change what I thought I know. So I'll tell you what I think I know and tell you why I think I know it. Revelation chapter 10 says this. Oh, by the way, the thing I know is that when the seventh angel blows his trumpet, it's the end. Everything's fulfilled. It's all wrapped up. That's the end of the whole plan. And here's why I say that. Revelation chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh trumpet, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. So we've got all this data about the end times. We don't know how it all fits together. I told you I think it's all interwoven. Why do I think it's interwoven? Well, we've got seven seals, and I taught you about those. We've got seven trumpets. We're learning about those. And we've got seven bowls. And each one of these, when the seal is cracked or the trumpet is blown or the bowl is poured out, wrath pours out on God's planet. So since they're lined up in the scripture, the first assumption is they happen one after another. But this is the seventh trumpet, and it says everything's done. And we haven't even read about the bowls yet. So if everything's done at the seventh trumpet, then what about the bowls? So it's all mishmash. It's all, I don't know how it all works together. There's some things that line up, some things we don't know, some things that we guess. And it even gets a little more confusing because of this word right here. Notice it doesn't say on the day of the sounding of the seventh trumpet. It says in the days of, which means it's a period of time. 
A small period of time, but a period of time. So not like an exact moment. Boom, trumpet sounds done. It's very confusing. But it doesn't matter. Some of you like this kind of thing. A map and chart that lays it all out, and this is how it all works. And I even at the beginning of the series, I, I handed out charts because they're cool. And they lay out the data in a nice way to look at and to help you study it. And some of it we understand, but some of it not so much. But I'm reminded of a story of a janitor of a megachurch cleaning up the gym. And uh, I guess he was on lunch break. The pastor was walking through. And, you know, it's a big church. pastor may never even have met this janitor before. And he sees the janitor reading the book of Revelation. And the janitor's nodding his head and chuckling. And the pastor, with all of his years of education and preaching the word of God, found the book of Revelation quite troublesome. He didn't know how to deal with it. And now here's this uneducated janitor looking like he's knowing what's... So he goes up to him, a little cocky, and says, What you reading? He says, I'm reading the Revelation, sir. He said, Do you understand it? He said, Oh, yeah. Pastor, really? He said, Yeah. Tell, explain it to me. He says, It's easy. Jesus wins. <laughs> yeah. So I may not know when the seventh trumpet lines up with the sixth bowl or the second seal. I don't care. We win. Because we're in Jesus. It's all going to work out in the end. I love it when that happens. One of the things that makes movies really cool is you don't know what's going to happen next. Some people like to read the last page of the book first. That drives me nuts. Why even read the book? If you're watching a suspense movie and they're after the guy and the guy's running and he's running for his life, if you know he's going to live and have a family and be happily ever after, uh, I lose interest in the movie. You just told me it all works out. So now that he's being chased, I know he's not going to die. I don't care. I'm not interested anymore. But with the book of Revelation, it's for real. And I know God's going to win, and it's all going to be wrapped up good. Now I'm very interested. This is going to work out beautifully for us. Well, one more thing I want to share with you before I finish up. I took a lot of effort at the beginning of my message to explain to you how awesome angels are. But look what this passage of Scripture says. Do you not know that we will judge angels? We are going to be higher than angels. We are going to have more authority than angels. Wow. I told you earlier, remember? Angels got to do things that's probably they think is beneath them, like taking care of us. Well, right now we kind of are beneath them, kind of. I mean, our inheritance is higher than theirs, but we haven't entered into our inheritance fully just yet. But we're going to be ruling angels. What kind of person do we have to be to rule angels? I don't know. I've never been there. God tells me I will be someday. I just know I'm not there yet. So I got to figure I'm in practice. We're in training. And Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, tells them to step up on their training. Look what he talks about. He says, when, you, when one of you has a complaint against another within the church, do you take your complaint to a court of sinners or do you take it to God's people? 
Don't you know that God's people will judge the world? And if you're going to judge the world, can't you settle small problems? Don't you know that we will judge angels? And if that's so, we can surely judge everyday matters. Why do you take everyday complaints to judges who are not respected by the church? I say this to your shame. Aren't any of you wise enough to act as a judge between one follower and another? Why should one of you take another to be tried by unbelievers? When one of you takes another to court, all of you lose. It would be better to let yourselves be cheated and robbed, but instead you cheat and rob one another, fellow believers. So here's what Paul is saying. There's a fight. Somebody gets mad at somebody else in the church over something. I don't know, you backed into my $10,000 lawn ornament and now it's broken and you won't pay for it. So I sue you. Paul says, why? Why are you going to a pagan court to sue a brother? Why don't you just bring it to people in the church and trust them to make a wise decision to make it all fair? He says, you're going to be smart enough and powerful enough to judge angels. Can't you settle petty disputes now? Stand up. Get into your training mode. So the idea is this. Angels are awesome, but one day we'll have authority over angels. And right now, we should be in the practicing mode. As an example that Paul gave, we shouldn't choose to have non-believers settle our disputes. We should trust one another to do that. The wisdom and justice in the church should be superior to the wisdom and justice found in the secular courts. Just as the scripture says, he has shown you, oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Please join me in prayer. Lord, you want us to be humble? Check. You want us to stand tall? Check. And you want us to practice and train for our inheritance. We can put a check mark by all three of these, but we need your Holy Spirit to actually make it a reality. So Lord, this morning I ask you to guide us and to fill us and to empower us and to help us to do and to be everything you would have us do and be. Help us to step into our inheritance now, growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, being just and fair, loving and kind and noble people. Lord, whatever you got to do to make us the kind of people you want us to be, if that's your prayer, then please join me and say, Amen.